This is the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and I'm your host, Jess Robinson. And this is the New Testament portion of the podcast for this week. And uh, we're finishing up the book of John. And we are in the part of Jesus being crucified. He's been crucified on the cross. And just to kind of start off... Um, we go into John's version of the crucifixion and when Jesus dies, the word he says it is finished and it's one word in Greek and I'm going to probably butcher it and it's, it's tetelestai, perfect passive tense. And I want to point out what this is really interesting it's a declaration. It's declaring that the work was done and the results will continue. So you think about in the Old Testament that they had the Old Testament sacrifices, but they had to continually sacrifice. And because that one sacrifice was not going to to cover it all. Jesus' sacrifice covered it all and it still continues to cover it. You know, it not only was Jesus' redemptive work and mission finished, but all who believe can continue to draw on the work accomplished at Calvary. Uh, nothing needs to be added. You know, the work is f- forever fulfilled and finished on the cross. You know, we can't add to it any way. It is finished in Christ's own answer to to us who who would say that our redemption needed some further work for victory over sin, Satan, or hell. Which is sad because there are several denominations that put this whole yoke back on and that you, ha- you have all these works that you have to do. And... And it's like, hey, no, it's done. It's finished. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus dies and then we have the burial of Jesus. And neither of the other ones mentioned Nicodemus. They they mentioned Joseph of Arimathea asking for Pilate's body, or not Pilate's body, asking Pilate for Jesus' body. But... We also have here that Nicodemus shows up and we've kind of talked about Nicodemus through the book of John that he, at first he shows up in, in the night to talk to Jesus. He's a Pharisee, well prominent in the Sanhedrin and he shows up in secret to talk to him saying, well, you know, you're, we know you're well known and, but he's this, you know, what you call a, a, a pocket believer where they hide and then he starts being becoming more bold and he stands up for Jesus and he's mocked for it but now he is boldly coming out by helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus and to you know to bury him and for them to bury him probably got them kicked out, you know, and which meant their livelihood was gone. So, um, so we just see that with, with Nicodemus and that's just how it is, is there are, we see in countries, there are people that their livelihood is stripped away from them when they become a believer in Jesus, their, their family may disown them. And at the most, some die. Some have to go into hiding and because their family is going to kill them. Uh, and because of, of them accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, that's why I love living in the U.S. Because, you know, in the U.S., the roots are founded in Christianity, you know, and but in in the US you don't die if you're a Hindu. You don't die if you're a Christian. You don't die you know because there's that freedom. Now there are people that want to take that freedom away saying, "Well, you're shoving it in my face." We're not shoving it in your face. You're you're choosing to be offended. Um 
over the situation. So, um, yeah. And so that happens. And, you know, and I've met people, you know, when we were in Laramie, we, we met people, I'm not going to say what country they were from. Uh, they were in the same, uh, they were studying the same things my husband was studying and they, they were in the same class and having to work together. So they would study together and we got to know them personally. And, you know, one was, uh, a, a Catholic. And so she, she believed in, in Jesus, but there was another one that, you know, was, was a different religion just because the parents were that religion based from the country that they were in. And, but they saw coming to America as, as this opportunity because they'd only heard about Christianity through their, you know, this one source and they felt like it was skewed. And so they were so excited when they found out that we were a Christian because they wanted to know the truth, why we believed what we believed in. And we shared with them and, you know, said, well, do you want that opportunity? And they said, well, we really have to think about it because where we come from, if, if we become a Christian, it means disowning my family. It means possibly never being with my family ever again. And so we got to know that person and for that person, they were counting the costs. They were really seriously counting the costs and, and they were also counting the costs of actually trying to go for their U.S. citizenship because and staying and and getting their U.S. citizenship because they loved it in the U.S. They loved the freedom that they had that they didn't have back home and and so they were sitting there going but they were also having a struggle because they were under a contract that they had to go back to their country once they got their bachelor's and serve in their country for so many years. Then they could decide where they could go. And it was hard for them because it, they, like they said, they felt like they were in bondage and in that situation because of this contract. But they were really counting the costs. And I pray for them. They're on my prayer list that that. And it's like, you know what? We know we planted a seed in them and, and God's going to work on that seed, you know, to get it to, to blossom. And, and that's just how it is, you know, in, in a lot of areas. But anyways, they, they bury Jesus. And then we get to John's version of the resurrection there were, you know, and, and all the other ones, there's all these women that come, well, John focuses on Mary Magdalene and um, versus the other women in, in the group. And people go, well, we don't see anywhere about other women, you know, but it's like, I think John was focused on Mary's point of view and not just the other women. He was focused on her point of view. And we know that she ends up having this experience and it just adds to the story it adds to the testimony and he appears to Mary and see here's the thing about it he chooses to appear to a woman you know this first person he chooses to appear after his resurrection is Mary you know she's not part you know she's mentioned in the gospel but she's not particularly prominent in the gospels but he appears to her first rather than any of the disciples, then the, the Sanhedrin, you know, he chooses Mary. And we notice throughout the ages, Jesus reveals his presence and love, especially to those who are known as the least. You know, God's special people are the unknown, those who like Mary in her grief maintained a steadfast love to their Lord and she did she had this love for the Lord and he appears for her to her first and then we we do see that he appears to his disciples um 
the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. They're not baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. We'll get to that uh, once we finish John. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now, Thomas has obtained the, the nickname of Doubting Thomas because of this story. I and a lot of people seem to criticize Thomas because of his lack of faith. But I like to look as at Thomas as somebody and it's just because, you know, one I'm I'm married to somebody who's kind of like Thomas. You know, and and throughout the years he's gotten better, but when we first got together there was there was some serious you know, I have to see it to believe it kind of thing. <laughs> and and there's nothing wrong with it. And there's people out there that are like Thomas, where they have to see it to believe it. They have to go, like I like to say, they have to be the ones that have to go search through the scriptures themselves. They can't be just told it. They have to go search it out themselves, read it themselves, research into it themselves to totally believe. And there's nothing wrong with people like that. You know, it, it's, it, there's just nothing wrong with that. And we see with Thomas, he's like, you know what, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And then he is, Jesus does appear to him. You know, he could have just said, you know what, you're not believing me. I'm not going to show up. He does show up. And and so, like with Thomas, it's, I would just like to say, you know, don't criticize somebody who really wants to search it out themselves. Help them search it out. Give them the resources that you know, you know, give them a Bible, give them, you know, titles to authors who they themselves were like Thomas and had to see it for themselves. And there's, there's several out there that have written really good books. There's Lee Strobel. He was an atheist and he went on on a journey essentially to make and he ended up believing. And it was a very long journey. And it was originally a journey to just try to disprove this so he could get his wife back who had become a believer. But it was a journey that ended up changing his life and he he now he went from being a, a journalist to you know now he's preaching <laughs> and he's not a journalist anymore he's an author and he's a preacher and and all of that and there's other people like that and so we need to really you know, I just wanted to point that out that just don't criticize people, you know, and I come across that I'm coming across this a lot more prominently with teenagers now, because teenagers these days, what they see in the lives that they experience is totally different from what I experienced when I went through as a teenager. I have been saddened and burdened by some of the things that my kids say that they have seen and heard in school and in their own lives, what they have had to deal with. And so for them, they have to see the scriptures because their thoughts have been skewed because they say, okay, well, if I've seen this, then God must be this kind of God. And I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. You know, like I have one and it's hard. It's really hard because her first reaction is why did he, if he knew they were going to do this, why he, why did he do this? Like it's, and I don't know if she's been exposed to Calvinism or what it was, but we've had to sit there and she's one, you know, you just, and she's pretty good though, that really she just keeps her, her questions to after the lesson and, and asks after the lesson, because she knows that, um, sometimes it may just take a little while or we just saying, you know, here's this person. And, and throughout that, she has appreciated that. And she continues to come back 
because I think she knows that we're not going to judge her that, you know, and I, I just continue to say to her, keep asking questions and we encourage her and say, you know what, that is a good question. That is, and she's like, really, you're not going to argue with me on it. And it's like, no, that is a good question. (laughs) And you know, you really, and like we keep telling her, you think intel, you know, intellectually and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And she goes, okay. Like, I think it's just kind of this whole, you know, the defenses were up and now it's going, huh? So I'm hoping, you know, they'll be back again next year. Um, come back and, and do that. So, but we get into chapter 21 and there's Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. You know, you see the disciples, they had like laid, left everything behind to be with Jesus. Then he dies and and we see they go back to fishing, probably because they thought it's all over. You know, let's go back to our livelihood. But Jesus appears to them. And and this is especially for Peter. And as we've talked about in the past with, with the past, with the synoptic gospels, that Peter essentially put a self-curse upon himself, cursed himself when he denied Jesus. And we see when, with Jesus, this whole thing with Peter where he says, you know, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Where he's asking him three times. One, this was to reinstate Peter back into the ministry, essentially. And then I want to just share with you the 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 words for love. There was two words for love that are used here. The first is agapeo or agape, and it's purposeful love, unconditional love. The second was phileo, which it's warm, natural affection of the emotions. Jesus indicated to Peter, his love must not only be of the will, but also the heart, a love springing from both purpose and personal attachment. And his questions to Peter is great, a great question for all believers. We must all have a personal heartfelt love for and devotion to Jesus. And we will see Paul write that, that, you know, all these gifts, he could do all this. If there's not love, it's nothing. And so it's got to be a personal love, not just, well, I need fire insurance or, you know, somebody has to do it. And he essentially reinstates Peter. Now there's a part in here about the, the whole thing of the disciple whom Jesus loves. And there's this whole thing and Jesus, you know, he looks at Peter looks at, which we know it's John. And he says, you know, what about him? This is dealing with comparison. Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. He was essentially saying, what is it to you? What I do for him, what I do through him, you follow me and do what I tell you to do, you know, and that's just how it is. And as believers, we can get going, well, you know, God uses this person for, for healing. And I wish he would use me for healing. Don't live in that comparison lifestyle. Live with an open heart of going, God, use me the way you want me to be used. You know, I'm open. Now, also with this, because it says on here, because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? The thing about it is a, there was a misconception with end times revolving around that, that the end times would not come or this because the disciple would not die. They would say, you know, John's not going to die and Jesus is going to come back. And there was a lot of misconception 
with end times because of that. And a lot of things got changed around, especially when John actually did die. Now, here's the thing about John. The Apostle John is, as we all know, he's the only disciple among all of them that dies a natural death. Peter dies a martyr because he does, you know, we see here in this, he he describes the kind of death that Peter would, would die. Peter is actually crucified. And he's actually crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as worthy to, to be crucified the way Christ was crucified. He, he was a martyr and, and we'll talk about it um, at some point, what happens to each of the, the disciples, but a, pretty much the majority. Now, Matthew, there's not very much known what happened to him, but we do know that pretty much based on, on historical records that have been found that pretty much all of them died a martyr's death. They, they were killed for the gospel. John just died a natural death. Doesn't mean he didn't go through some really bad things, you know, um, he did see Jesus, Jesus's return. That's where we get the book of Revelation from. And see, he got that revelation from the island of Patmos, which was pretty much a work camp. He was sent there because, um, one, they tried to kill him with oil, boiling oil, and it didn't kill him. So, you know, it doesn't mean he didn't suffer for the gospel. He did suffer for the gospel, but he did die a natural death. He was sent to the island of Patmos as a work camp, you know, thinking that he would die there. And God gave him that revelation, the book of Revelation that we have today because of that. And that's where he was mentioning, you know, see my return, you know. So that's where it was coming from. And I just love how John ends that there were so many other things that Christ did that if every one of them were written down, you know, that the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. So there was a lot that Jesus did that's not in these books that we have. Um, and somebody did have a vision. There was a believer that had a vision that of heaven and that there was this library and they went through the library and they were seeing all these things of that Christ had done that wasn't written down. And so we'll, we'll see all that Christ did when we get to heaven. And that was all the gospels. And so we're going to take a quick break and jump into the book of Acts. So, we get into the book of Acts, and people go, what is the deal with the book of Acts? The book of Acts was writ is attributed to, to the uh, apost or, um, Luke, um, and who wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and... How we know that is because he talks about right there at the beginning in my former book. Um, so we know that whoever wrote Acts wrote the book of Luke as well. Um, there's several different things and I'll point out as we go through the book of Acts that it, it, it does point to Luke. Um, we do have other historical writings that show um, from other people that say that Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul, who we will meet later on. And in the book of Acts, we won't really go into him today. Uh, but he is, Luke is attributed to it. And this was written prior to AD 70, um, just because 
uh, like we said with the book of Luke, that the book of Luke was written before 80, 70 because, or 70 AD. I always screw those things up. I'm still learning the history part of things, but, um, just because one, we, we talked about in the book of Luke that there was the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 AD or AD 70, you know, and, um, he essentially, if that would have happened as well, we probably would have had that in the book of Acts. This was probably written in, in a time, some believe that when, when Paul was imprisoned and he was in Rome, that this was probably written at this point. But essentially Acts is a bridge between the Gospels and and the letters that are written by Paul to the churches, to several churches. If Acts wasn't here, um, we wouldn't really understand the letters that were written. This puts a face to a lot of these churches that were formed. This is the early church. This is talking about the early church and how it was founded and, and how the gospel spread that, you know, essentially Jesus had given the command and, and Matthew that they were going to go out and make disciple disciples of all the nations and baptizing in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. The book of Acts introduces the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts is a, I love it. And I actually just during the spring, actually in January, and I finished in June, a, a class on the book of Acts. And there was so much that I did not realize. And here's the thing. I just challenge you. If you get a chance, take classes Bible classes on, especially, you know, like learning about the different books and, and approaching the different books because there's so much, there's so much, you know, Acts is actually a book of action. You know, there's drama, there's suspense, there's conflict, there's triumph, there's miracles, revivals, conversions, and resurrections. You have martyrs. You have escapes from prison. You have angry mobs and trials before kings. There's shipwrecks. There's prophecies, beatings, and demonic conflicts. There's people in the book of Acts. You know, the 75 characters in this, you know, you have apostles, evangelists, lay people, chief priests, kings, and governors, slaves, jailers, and prisoners. You know, it's talking about the growth of the church. You know, you know, it begins with a church so small it could fit in one room. It ends with a church that spread out to the heart of the Roman Empire. It begins with a local Jewish church of one language and culture, and then it ends with an international church of many tribes, languages, and cultures. Above all, Acts is about the Holy Spirit, which many denominations want to leave that out. The Holy Spirit continues to do through the church what Jesus began. He enables apostles and lay people to minister supernaturally. And he seeks to fill every believer with power to witness for Jesus. Um, and actually Luke did not call it Acts. It was in AD 150 that believers began to call Luke's book the Acts of the Apostles. Um, most of Acts tells of the ministries of the apostles, Peter and Paul. Not all that, you know, you'll see some of the apostles showing up in, in the beginning part, but it starts to focus more on Peter in the first half and then Paul in the second half. Um, you know, after the first chapter, there's only Peter, James, John, and Paul that are called by name. Um, not saying that 
there wasn't anything else being done, but it focuses, Luke focuses on those. Um, there's just so much to, to ask and just to appreciate it. You know, it, it's tracing the growth of the church that they grew in numbers. They spread geographically. They expanded its mission, you know, and, you know, it, 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 it teaches us the scriptures, you know, to believe in the scriptures, prayer, sharing, and fellowship, the work of the Holy Spirit in glorifying Christ, knowing and worshiping God, witnessing signs and wonders and being filled with the spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying and other spiritual gifts. It helps us to believe solving church growth problems, evangelizing and teaching new believers. God's power at work during persecution and God's love for people of all the nations. And, you know, it's, it emphasizes the Holy Spirit for witnessing and look at how many times the Holy Spirit shows up and when you look at acts you know you can outline it differently there's outlining geographically based on acts 1 8 where jesus tells his followers you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth so, you know, Jerusalem was chapters 1 through 7, Judea and Samaria is 8 through 12, and the whole earth is 13 through 28. You can outline it based on Peter and Paul. There's, you know, when you look at the book of Acts, and actually if you look at the book of Acts 2, how it looks is kind of similar to the book of Luke. I just challenge you to go look at that. Um, you know, based on Peter and Paul. You know, Peter, you know, ministry of Peter, for example, he preaches Jesus to the Jews. Paul preaches Jesus to the Gentiles. They both heal a lame man from birth, you know. They deal with a sorcerer in this story. But you can also outline according to messages of, of Peter, Paul, and even um, Stephen, who we will talk about next podcast so kind of just going into acts you know we get into acts chapter one and i jesus was ascending and they were essentially saying that um you know going wow god you know what they were so focused thinking that he was going to come into power deal with rome and he's like no he, he's going to go to ascend to heaven and he calls them to be his witnesses. But in order to become his witnesses, he tells them to go and wait until they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That the promise and is known as a promise and actually the Holy Spirit is known as a gift of God. And so he commands them to go get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, we are to do the same thing. It's the same thing today. You know, many people who become believers just want to start out in the gate and be, you know, be ministers and doing this and doing that. And no, you need to wait until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because for one thing, the task is bigger than we are. And we need that the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and guide us and give us wisdom. It's too hard to accomplish without the Spirit's power. And the task is not yet finished. So we have to continue. You know, and he is the baptizer. Um, now, you know, we talk about water baptism uh, with John. It's, you know, it's an outward work for something that's happening inward. The baptism in the Spirit happens inside a believer. And... Um, you know, that's, and in order for us to witness, and there's this plan to witness to, and, and we can take that same thing of, of witnessing, you know, first in Jerusalem, then in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem being our area, our town, our, our, where we work, you know, our family. 
going to Judea and Samaria, going beyond that, you know, and then the whole world missions, you know. So we look at that and, you know, the purpose of all of that. And so we, we get to the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. Steps to baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's obedience. You know, obedience is a huge thing. You know, the relationship between obedience and blessing is a theme in scripture. Two widows were blessed by Elijah and Elisha because they obeyed, as we talked about in the the last podcast um, for the Old Testament. You know, the lepers were cleansed because they obeyed Jesus. Saul received his sight because he obeyed. We'll see that in a bit. And the disobedient missed the good things God has planned for, for him. So there's a huge thing about obedience. Unity. We see in Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place. Now, there's a difference between unity, being in a place and just being there together, but being together under one agenda. You know, unity takes time to develop, you know. And that can get in the way, you know, things can get in the way such as busyness. Um, becoming a unified body of believers takes a great deal of time being together, hearing God's word together and working together. And it, it takes a level of that. And then prayer, prayer is, dev- and we see in Acts chapter two, that they were devoted to prayer. And then they also do the study and applications of the, the, the scriptures. Peter realizes, Hey, we need, you know, Judas is not here. We need to replace Judas. We see in chapter one and what happens. And he quotes the words. He, he uses the applicant. He applies scripture saying that this was going to happen. And, and actually I want to point out here too, what happens is that when they, they choose two men And they cast lots, which we've talked about in the Old Testament that they cast lots. This is the last time in scripture that you will see casting lots. This is the last time because they end up getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that talks to them and says, you send Paul and and Barnabas. You send so and so. And we get into chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit is point poured out. Um, now we've talked about Pentecost. Pentecost is, it, 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 it was dealing, it was around the feast of weeks and seven weeks after first fruits. And Pentecost, it, it means the 50th. It was 50 days after the Passover. It's known as the Feast of Weeks and it falls seven weeks after first fruits. And so there's different, and we've talked about it throughout the podcast that different things with Jesus have fulfilled different parts of the Old Testament feast. Pentecost fulfilled that feast. And we see to get that day that they were all together, they were praying, and then they were baptized in the the spirit. The unique signs at Pentecost, there was a rushing mighty wind and tons of fire. They saw that. Now, a normative sign. Now, my brother, when he actually was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he saw a word, like it was a weird word and it was in flames. So each person that's baptized in the Holy Spirit has a different experience when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what is known, generally known, 
the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit that continues on as speaking in tongues. And people think, oh my gosh, you're a tongue speaker. Yes, I am. Um, but tons happen. Now, you know, um, it's an initial act and that's what happens to them. And, and speaking in tons, you know, it's an initial evidence of baptism in the spirit. You know, it's the, another use of this, of tons is it's one of the nine gifts of the spirit of speaking in tons in, um, in church, you will see that. And then there's an interpretation of tons, which somebody else will have an interpretation of the ton. Uh, it's usually a message from God is what we say. And then th the third, it's a regular means of personal prayer. You know, I've, there have been times that I don't know what to pray, but I just let the Holy Spirit pray because, and, and I don't understand the tongues that I'm speaking. And, but I know that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs to be prayed. And that's what it means. It's a mean, a personal prayer. The fourth thing is, it's a sign to unbelievers. And it's actually happened in in few places where, like, I actually had a friend. Um, she was talking about a time in their church service. Somebody was speaking in tongues. Nobody knew what this person was saying, and there was a guy that was. They knew he was an unbeliever, and he showed up and he started shaking, and he started weeping. And the pastor knew that something was going on and talked with the man. Well, the man said that the person was speaking Cherokee. They were speaking the Cherokee language and he knew it. And it was speaking to him and God was, you know, working in his heart and he became a believer. It was a sign to him that, okay, God is real. This guy is talking. And he had even gone up to that person afterwards saying, where did you learn Cherokee? And this person's like, I didn't even know what I, I that I was speaking Cherokee. I don't even know it. And they're like, okay, you know, and that, that, that happens. And that's a huge part in our relationship to the Lord. And, um, that, and I, and I think we'll, we'll do a podcast at some point about talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, some of the common questions about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and all of that. Um, but we'll just continue on in the reading here. And this was the birth of the church. Now, we see in chapter two that there was an, in an interesting response at Pentecost. Because it talks about, there was like about 15 languages that were spoken. The first response that happens is, and that we will see generally, um, is there was bewildered interest, you know. They were amazed and confused because they heard people speaking as they were saying, you know, they were like, whoa, speaking in, in different language. They were, they were amazed. Their, you know, bewilderment is often the first re reaction when people encounter others speaking in tongues. They do not understand what is going on. And then there's utter amazement. There was utter amazement at that point. They were amazed and perplexed and... Everything they saw increased their curiosity, and it was setting the stage for Peter to give some answers. Then there was mocking. They mocked, saying, oh, they've had too much to drink. And, you know, that sometimes there are people that will mock, and it actually, you know, people who mock show more about themselves than they do about what they mock. Those who make fun of the work of the Holy Spirit only reveal their own spiritual emptiness. Such people need our understanding and our prayer, not our anger. 
Then there's boldness. Peter speaks to them with boldness. He stands up with the eleven, raises his voice, and he addresses the crowd. Now Peter's not con- you know, condemning them. He, he stood up not only physically but spiritually. Now a few weeks earlier, he had denied Christ. And this time he's standing up and boldly proclaiming Christ. And showing that God works and that the Holy Spirit was working in him. There was unified support. The 11 stood up with him physically. We see in Peter, he preaches in his pattern of preaching. He listened, treated the listeners with respect, knowing that they were, you know, fellow Jews. He met the listeners where they were at. Addressing, you know, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. And he quotes from the book of Joel, which we'll get to the book of Joel sometime. And it'll, you'll be like, whoa, that's in the book of Acts. He was meeting with them with sharing an Old Testament prophet that they, they had studied. He spoke with authority. He was prepared he didn't have it already written, written out, but he had been with Jesus for, you know, during his whole ministry. He was spending time with Jesus. He, he was spending time in God's word and that we can take as what we need to do. And he, and with his message, he shares what happened at Pentecost, why Pentecost happened and, and how Pentecost can come to each person. And <laughs> um, he was, there was all these people that repented. And it was like, wow. Now, the biblical pattern, you know, we get in, in here, what happens is the church grows. This is the beginning of the church. And there's this biblical pattern of, of a church that we should all follow with, with the believers. They believed in repentance. Repentance was a huge thing. That's a huge thing in, in a relationship with the Lord. There was baptism. He tells them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The the third is a mark of Bible of a is something God has to do for us. You know, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. And then we see that this church, as it says, was devoted to doctrine, devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking bread, what we call communion, and they were devoted to prayer. There was wonders and miraculous signs, generosity, public gathering for worship. They had glad meal times, favor with people, and growth. So... We get into that. And then finally in chapter 3. That we start off. Or in chapter 3. Um, so this church has started. And we read in chapter 3. And it's a wonderful story. Where Peter and John heals a lame man. We know that this man was always placed. And at some point. He had probably seen Jesus. He had probably come across Peter and John. And we can take that in our own lives that we've probably come across somebody but have never really seen them. That we we are so focused with our blinders on going from one place to the next trying to get our to-do list. And there's somebody that Christ needs us to touch and reach to. So this is the first time really that Peter and John noticed this blind man. They gave the blind man, what they had, which was Jesus. And then they wrote, reached out in faith. You know, I wonder what would have happened if, G if Peter hadn't reached out to that blind man or the lame man, actually, if, if they hadn't reached out to the lame man. There's importance to physical touch, you know, and 
than they expected the unexpected that he was going to be healed. And we see from that that the man was healed. And we can take these into our own lives. And because of that, that opened another door for the Holy Spirit to work through Peter to to explain this. He exalts Jesus in this message. And then actually, I wanted to point out in this, he he glorified Jesus, but he also extended God's forgiveness. He there was there's sins of ignorance and sins of high hand in that time. Sins of ignorance were unintentional sins that could be forgiven forgiven. Sins of a high hand were intentional and could not be forgiven. Now, essentially, what they had done was sins of a high hand. However, Peter calls it sins of ignorance and gives them a chance. You know, it it showed or assured the crowd that God had chosen to view the deliberate sin as a lesser sin of ignorance and give them a chance for repentance. And so that is what happens and we see... Um, that that people are saved and so that's essentially it for the book of acts today um for the next week and it's gonna um you know it's, it's gonna be interesting going through this after taking this class and sharing the book of acts how i learned it and so for the next week's podcast we're gonna go um read acts chapter four five, six, seven, and eight. And I understand seven is a very long chapter, but, um, I have a way of summarizing it of, of the whole chapter, but it's, you know, it's going to be long, but feel free to break it up how you need to and, and all of that. So, so uh, we'll see you next Friday.